The passage that I'd like to look at together with you comes from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians was a letter that was written by a man named the Apostle Paul to a church in Ephesus. The specific passage that I'm going to read has to do with how the church is made up. Very specifically, what I want to look at is, I want to look at uh, what a pastor is supposed to do. This passage has to do with the work of a pastor. Some of you know that I recently came onto staff here at Renaissance. I've been here for about two weeks. I'm new to this position, but I'm not new to being a pastor. I've been a pastor for about 20 years, but I want to look at this passage together with you so I can think again about what it means to be a pastor, but I also want to look at it together with you because as you'll see, the work of a pastor is intertwined. It's together with the work of the church, the calling that God has for all of us are in these words. And by calling, I don't mean that in a spiritual, religious way. I mean that God has brought each of you here and that God is at work in your life, that you might be able to use the gifts he's given you, that you might be able to serve and love the people around you, that you might be able to be fulfilled in the kind of the way that he wants you to be. So let's take a look at this passage. It comes from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. It says, the gifts he gave, and he is God there, the gifts God gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. My dear friends, this is God's word to us. It was given to us in love. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, we do ask that you would open our hearts, our minds, our ears, that we would be able to hear you speak. Some of us come with great faith, expecting to hear you, believing that you're real. Some of us aren't sure. Some of us come here this morning with great joys. Some of us with great sorrows. Some of us are bored of life. However each one of us come, Father, we know that you know us. You know us inside and out. You know us so intimately. And we ask that in this time that you would speak to us by your spirit, make yourself known to us. And I pray, Father, that you would help each person here to know how much you love us and that you would help us to love you back. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by telling you why I've come to Renaissance Church. I want to begin by telling you what made me make the decision to come here and to work here. Many of you know that I have known your lead pastor, Christian Andrews, for over 25 years. We have walked together in profound ways. He's been an incredible friend to me. In great joys, he celebrated with me. And in great sorrows, he's let me lean on him. So to work together with a friend is a good thing, but I need you to know that I did not come here in order to work with Christian. I didn't come here because it afforded me the chance to be together with a friend. That's a good thing, but that's not the reason that I came to Renaissance. There are two reasons that I came to Renaissance to work here. The first is that I have a great love for this church and for the mission of this church. In the years since Christian has been the pastor here, close friends talk, both of us are pastors, and we end up talking shop together. 
he would do what I might call good gossip about you all, because that's what pastors do. I would call Christian and I would say, hey, this is going on my, at my church. Hey, this great idea I, somebody gave in the church. What do you think about this? He would do the same to me. We would talk about sermon series. He also began to talk about each of you. He began to talk about the beauty in this church. He began to talk about the people that God was drawing to himself. And sometimes I would come, some of you know, I've preached here before, sometimes when Christian was on vacation or when he needed a break, I would come. And I'll tell you, friends, when you preach the gospel to people, you begin to have a love for them. And so as this is happening over the years, I'm talking to Christian, I'm beginning to just have a love for the work that you all are doing. I'm beginning to have a love for the church. I began to have a love for many of you that I got to know. I even began to have a love growing in my heart for New Jersey. You know, I'm a New Yorker, and they tell you in New York, they try, to, they try to push you a little bit not to like New Jersey, to look down on New Jersey, but I am not having it. I love New Jersey. I began to really love it. I began, at odd points in the day, I would be craving a pork roll, egg, and cheese. <laughs> had vivid dreams about needing to go left and knowing that I had to turn right to get there. But it's not just the church, it's not just the people or the place, it's also the mission of the church. I wanna show you a part of your mission statement, it's on the website. This is what defines Renaissance Church. Building disciples who invite and inspire others to love and serve Jesus together. This says at least two things about Renaissance Church. The first is that Jesus is at the center of everything that happens at Renaissance Church that the ground that we walk on is the foundation of Jesus Christ, that the goal towards which we are going is Jesus Christ, that the one who walks alongside us as we get there is Jesus Christ. You know, the book of Colossians says that Christ should have the preeminence in everything. And that's just a fancy word saying that Jesus should be in first place. So when I see this, this is something that encourages me. This is something that fills me up with hope that Renaissance is this kind of place that wants to have Jesus at the center of all things. Here's what this mission statement also says. It says that Renaissance is a place where people are going to come to know the love of Jesus for the first time, that people are going to be invited, not only invited just to this place, but also invited into your life, that people are going to be inspired, that God is going to use the people of this church to make the love of Jesus known, to make the love of Jesus known to people who are Christians, and to make the love of Jesus known to people who are not Christians, to serve those around you, whether they be your friends or whether they be your enemies. And so this is the first reason why I've come to Renaissance Church. I've come here because I want to be a part of this mission. This is who Renaissance is. This isn't just an excuse for me to put the mission statement up. This is who Renaissance is, not perfectly, but it's the place where you're headed and it's the place where you're going. So this is the first reason why I've come. Here is the second reason that I have come to Renaissance Church, and it's the specific calling that the elders and the staff gave to me in order to come here. My job description is pastor of connections. And when they laid out the job description for me, it was two, three, four pages or whatever it was, but boiled down, it boiled down to three points. And I'm gonna have these as my uh, topic today. The three points of the sermon are going to be the three aspects of my job description. The call from the elders and from the pastors was this, to help people connect to the church, 
to help people connect to one another and to help people connect to God. So these were the call. This was the call. This is something that filled me with joy. I wanna do these things. I wanna be part of this. Now, you might be wondering, why is my job description something that's worthy of having as the sermon topic? And the answer is that this is really a job description for all of us. Think back to the passage in Ephesians that I just read. Think back now. What is the job of a pastor? And this tells you what the job of a pastor is. Think, look at this again. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And then what do the pastors do? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Which is to say the work of a pastor is to help our whole church, everybody that is here, to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. Strictly speaking, it's not pastors who do the work of ministry. It says here the saints do. And saints is a New Testament word, which means God's people. It doesn't mean somebody special. It means somebody that's called and beloved of God. So God has given all of this, this job description. It's not just my job description. It's our job description. So let's forget the preamble. Let's now get to these three points. I want to show us how these three points are our job description. And here's the first one. Our job description is to help people connect to the church. The first kind of connection that we all are about is to help people connect to this church. This means that we as a church want to grow in the joy and in the work of inviting people and welcoming people. The new people that show up on their own, the new people that you invite to find ways to be hospitable to newcomers, to make sure that we make it as easy as we can for new people when they show up to be served, but also to learn how to serve. This is the work that's been given to us by the Holy Spirit. Make this a place where people can connect to the church. Now, we all know that it is hard to show up at a brand new church, is it not? It's hard when you get there, you're not sure what's gonna happen. You've never been there before. You come through the door, you're not sure where to go. You walk into the worship space. Is this one of those churches that has books or is it gonna have screen? What kind of things are gonna happen in this service? After I come out, what if somebody talks to me? <laughs> After I come out, what about if nobody talks to me? It's a hard thing to come to a church for the first time. And it's a difficult thing to welcome people to a church. Some of us with the best of intentions, it's a little hard when somebody that we don't know comes in, we don't wanna be pushy, we don't wanna feel strange. We don't want to kind of get in somebody's face. It's really hard to come up to somebody for the first time. Some of us aren't very good at small talk. So it's very hard to go to the church for the first time. It's very hard to welcome people. And frankly, it's very hard for Renaissance right now to be as welcoming as we want to be because we just got to this building. And here's this building and it's half of a construction site and those of you who are brand new, I'll just let you in on something. If you ask somebody where the bathroom is, even if people have been going for a while, they might not know we're still learning ourselves. The other problem about welcoming people right now is we don't have that magical elixir of hospitality, that warm brew that makes everything easier, church coffee. <laughs> we don't have any church coffee right now. Church coffee is what makes... It makes everything easier to do. It doesn't taste any good, but it gives you something to do with your hands. You say the cafe is over there, but we don't have our cafe yet. We will, it's coming. 
But now the call for us is to be welcoming even in this difficult season. And one of the ways I wanna try to help inspire us, one of the ways I wanna help to equip you even right now is to share with you a story of Jesus when he gave welcome to a newcomer. In Luke chapter seven, the gospel of Luke chapter seven, Jesus was invited to the home of a man named Simon the Pharisee. Not Simon Peter the fisherman, who was his disciple, another person. Simon the Pharisee, who was a religious leader, a very powerful and influential man. When he invited Jesus to his home, it was sort of like a religious meeting they were having, almost like a church service. They were going to discuss doctrine and discuss philosophy. Simon knew about this new rabbi named Jesus and wanted to talk to him. So he invited Jesus to his home. And when Jesus arrived, they began to talk. And then soon after that, somebody else came to the religious service, somebody who was not invited. This is what happened. A woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the anointment. Dear friends, this is a picture of a newcomer coming into a place. She was not invited. She came, why? The passage says she came because she knew that Jesus might be there. Which is to say that when somebody is on the margins, when somebody is not invited, there is something about Jesus that makes them know they are welcome. There's something about the presence of Jesus for people who are, look, she has a bad reputation. She's called a sinner. I don't know how she got this bad reputation. Was it fair? We don't know. But we do know that she has it. We do know that she wasn't invited. And here she comes to be with Jesus. And I want you to see how Jesus receives her that he opens up his heart and he welcomes her in and he offers her love and she loves him back. And there's an intimacy and a communion here. And as this is going on alongside him is Simon the Pharisee, the religious leader. And as he watches Jesus and this woman in this communion of love, of welcome, of embrace, this is what he thinks in his mind. If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this was. I want you to think about that for a second. He says he would know what sort of woman this was. Because when Simon sees this woman, he doesn't see a woman made in God's image. He sees a sort of a woman. And Simon is doing here what is so easy for all of us to do, which is when we see somebody, we begin to evaluate and we begin to categorize and we begin to classify. We look at how people are dressed. We hear what people have said about the people that are in front of us. We hear how they speak. We see what they look like and we begin to categorize them into sorts of people. So we look at somebody who say, oh, she's divorced. Oh, he's an addict. She's rich. He is too young. He's old. We begin to classify people. We don't see the people that they are. We do like Simon the Pharisee does here, which is he sees a sort of a person. But Jesus doesn't see people like that. Jesus sees her. He sees who she is, and he welcomes her exactly as she is. 
Jesus sees this woman and he extends a welcome to her. And I want you to know every single person here, whether you are a newcomer, whether you've been coming to Renaissance for a very long time, I need you to know this, that Jesus sees you and he welcomes you here. No matter how you come, Jesus welcomes you here. He receives you in and anything that you have to offer, your tears, your gifts, your brokenness, Jesus welcomes you in. He welcomes you into this place because this church belongs to Jesus. It does not belong to the elders or the pastors or the staff or to any of us. This is the church of Jesus. And therefore he welcomes each one of you. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear that, that Jesus welcomes you here. He sees you. And because that's true of Jesus, it was true of Jesus then and it's true of Jesus now, Because it's true about Jesus, it means that we, who are his disciples, should do the same thing that he does, to really see people and to welcome them. I know I've got some folks who love to study the Bible here. I didn't have time to really get into this too much, but next tonight, look in Ephesians 4. It says, the body of Christ, Christ is the head, and then the body is the church. And it says in Ephesians that the body should be like the head. We should grow up and be like the head, our elder brother, Jesus. This is the call for each one of us too. So every single one of us, we are called to see and we are called to welcome and we are called to bring in, not even not only to these doors, but also into our lives. Because I'll tell you the truth, friends, it doesn't matter if we build 10 cafes and have the best coffee you possibly could imagine if we ourselves don't open our hearts in our lives, to the people who are coming here, we will never fully be the church that God is calling us to be. Some of you here might have been coming for a very long time and you still feel a little bit on the margins. Some of you are newcomers and you're thinking, I wonder if I'm welcomed in. The truth is for both that you are welcomed in and the call that we have, what I hope to equip us all to do is to welcome people in. We need to really see that the truth is, everybody that comes through these doors, they're gifts to us. God is sending us gifts. I want to end this point by reading to you from an instruction manual. It's an instruction manual that was written in the 6th century for monasteries. A monk wrote an instruction manual for how are you supposed to run a monastery? What are you supposed to do when there's conflict between the people that are living there? How should you conduct yourself? What should the worship services look like? And one of the chapters is, what do you do when somebody new shows up? What do you do when somebody just shows up at your front door? How do you handle it? Listen to what the instruction manual says. All guests who present themselves are to be welcomed as Christ. For Jesus himself will say, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Once a guest has been announced, the superior, that's one of the the kind of senior staff positions in the monastery, the superior and the brothers are to meet him with all the courtesy of love. The abbot, and that's the the chief honcho, the abbot shall pour water on the head of the hands of the guests and the abbot with the entire community shall wash their feet." Great care and concern are to be shown in receiving poor people and pilgrims because in them, Christ is especially received. So our first call, Renaissance, the first thing that we need to be equipped to continue to do because you're doing it, but to continue to be equipped to welcome in and show hospitality and give opportunities to be served and to serve. 
So that's the first point of our job description to help connect people to the church. Here's the second one. We need to help connect to one another. The second kind of connection means that we as a church, we wanna grow in the work and the joy of sharing our lives together, doing life together, being a community where we get to celebrate our joys and we bear one another's griefs and we feel and experience the power of Jesus Christ in our midst because we're among people who are sharing that together. God wants to see this community give itself to one another. And I'm already seeing that that's the case. You know, there are community groups in this uh, church, support groups, men's groups, women's groups, senior high, middle school. There are over 20 groups where people are doing life together, sharing with one another. And our hope as we continue to grow is that there'll be more of these groups and more people will be invited in. And more and more, we can become a community that isn't just together on Sunday, but outside the boundaries of these walls. And connecting to one another is not just sort of an optional thing. It's something that Jesus says is the most important thing that we can do. Jesus says that the way that we are gonna obey him is that we love one another. And to love one another, we have to know one another and give ourselves to one another. So it's a good thing, a thing that we have to obey Jesus about in order to do life together. But here's the thing about doing life together. Sometimes the thing that keeps us from doing it, they're good things. Sometimes Jesus calls us to do things and we don't do them because of bad things that get in the way. Maybe God calls us to be generous and we get a little fearful and we get a little greedy and we're not as generous as we might be. That's a bad thing that's standing in the way of obeying Jesus. But sometimes it's good things that get in the way of obeying Jesus. So what keeps you from giving yourself to one another, from connecting to one another? Sometimes it's work. Maybe your job is really demanding. Maybe you have to work long hours and then there's the commute. And then there's the work that comes in on your email and your phone after you get home. Sometimes work, which is a good thing, is what keeps you from being able to have the time in order to share your life with the people around you. It's really hard. Another good thing which sometimes prevents us from connecting with one another is family. Family takes up so much time. The blessing of the people that God has put into our lives, family and friends, sometimes it's hard to find time for anything else. There are kids to take to sports. There are elderly parents to take care of. You gotta get food on the table. You gotta get the kids out the door to school. And sometimes it takes up so much of your time and so much of your energy that it's hard to do. So sometimes it's good things that keep us from giving ourselves to one another and connecting to one another but to try to inspire us in a way to help us to see the beauty in the importance of connecting to one another, I wanna direct you again to the words of Jesus. I wanna read you a passage of Jesus teaching his disciples the night before his crucifixion. It's this time when he knows he's going to leave them. He's given them the most crucial, crucial information. You have to know this, and this is what he says. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. There's two things I want you to remember from those words of Jesus. Here's the first one, is that Jesus calls you his friends. If you think about who you are, your identity, what sort of person you are, you are the sort of person who is the friend of Jesus because that's what Jesus says about you. 
Jesus says that you are his friend. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that means me. I don't know even what I believe. I've done things that are really awful. It says here in this passage that if you do the things that I tell you to do, then you're my friend. But I want you to remember who Jesus is talking to. Do you know who he's talking to here? Say it out. He's talking to his disciples, right? This is the night before he goes to the cross. In just a few hours, these disciples that he's speaking to will run from him, will tear away from him as fast as they can because they're scared. He's speaking to Peter, Peter, who in just a few hours will run out of people to tell. He can't tell enough people, I don't know him. I don't believe in him. I don't know who you're talking about. So if you're thinking to yourself right now that somehow you don't qualify as the friend of Jesus, what? Because you don't believe, because you somehow turned away at some point, because you're not sure, that's the definition of what Jesus is, the people he's talking to here. And he says about them, he says about Peter, and he says about you, you're my friend. And Jesus stands by his friends until the very end and then some. So I want you to know this. You are a friend of Jesus. But here's the second thing I want you to know from this passage. One of the best ways to know the friendship of Jesus is through other people. That if you find it difficult to know the friendship of Jesus, and I'm a person who finds it difficult to know and experience the friendship of Jesus, if that's the case, one of the main ways that you can know that friendship is through other people. Look at verse 12 again. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I could go to all sorts of places in the scriptures that talk about how the love of God and the love of the people around us are intertwined. We feel God's love through other people. And through other people, we feel God's love. And it kind of keeps working like that. And here it is in just one verse. Jesus loves his people. He loves his disciples. He loves his friends. And one of the ways you'll know that as you give yourself and connect to one another, the people around you. Through other people, the love of God carries us. It carries us through our joys and through our heartbreaks. I wanna introduce you to a man named Kevin Chandler. Kevin Chandler has spinal muscular atrophy. His head is normal size, but his body is about the size of a normal adult human's chest. His arms and his legs barely function. His mind is quick and agile. But he had a dream for most of his life to travel the world. But of course, because he's in a wheelchair, he never really thought that this dream would ever be realized. And then one day his friends came to him. His friends came around him and they formed a fellowship. They formed a community. And they called it, We Carry Kevin. And they designed a backpack in which Kevin could sit. And they began to change the way other people and even themselves began to think about disability and accessibility. They began to think, what if accessibility is not just about, you know, wheelchairs are good and electric doors and ramps, those are good. But what if the key to accessibility is people? What if the key to being able to get to the place you need to go is that your friends carry you there? And now they've been to Ireland and they've been to England and they've been to France. And in 2018, they went to the Great Wall of China in China. You can find all this. You can see videos of it. If you go to YouTube or someplace else, type in, we carry Kevin. Kevin is spelled K-E-V-A-N. And I wanna read to you a quote from Kevin. Listen to what he says about this. 
He said, the thing I liked the most is I got to be with my friends. More than the travel. We were never meant to live our lives alone. In beloved Renaissance Church, you were never meant to live your lives alone. You were never meant to live your lives apart from the God of love who made you in love, who made you for love, to receive his love and then to love him back. And you were never meant to live your life alone from the people around you that you were meant to be carried along and you were meant to carry the people around you. In the days and weeks and months ahead, I hope that's what we can do to continue to give ourselves to one another. And like I said before about being a newcomer or even feeling like you're a newcomer, you've been here a long time. Maybe there are some of you here who've never felt quite connected as you might. And what we can do is we can walk towards that connection. We can walk towards by the power of the Holy Spirit, God gathering us together. We have 20 groups now. My hope is that that number will increase in the months and in the years to come. My hope is that we'll find ways to edify one another and equip one another to connect with one another. So that's the second part of my job description, connecting to others. The third one and the last one is connecting to God. This is going to serve as my conclusion. It's going to be my shortest point by far. It's also going to be the most important point because I don't have any interest in equipping you to helping welcome people here just for the sake of getting more butts in the seats. I have no interest in equipping you to gather together just so that it only happens on a horizontal plane. That's good. Community is good. But what Jesus says here and what we know to be true is that the most important connection that you can make, the most important connection that's been made for you is the connection that you have to God. In everything we do, we want to be in service to Jesus being in our midst, putting his love on us because he is worthy. He is good. He is worth your time. He is worth opening your heart, as hard as it can sometimes be, to receive his love because Jesus has done everything for us. He has given us everything that we need in this world. And so, our hope, my hope, is that God might continue to equip us to connect to him, to connect to the church, to connect one another. And I hope in these days and weeks to come, you'll join with us in doing that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks that you gave up your rightful seat in that celestial city that was older than Eden and taller than Rome, that you gave up a crown for a cross and a throne for a tomb. He traded in the praises of angels for the sin-stricken curses of lost humanity. We give you thanks, Jesus, that you were judged in our place. We give you thanks that you went to the cross for us, but that God raised you from the dead and that you are highly exalted now, that you have the name that is above every name. And so we bow our knees now before you and we ask that you would help us to be equipped for the mission that you've given us. The mission, first of all, to know your love, to receive your love, and then to invite and inspire and connect with others with that same love. Come Holy Spirit, we cannot do this on our own. And so we ask for your help and we ask for it in Jesus' name, amen.